people of the pods. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about, you guessed it, podcasts. I'm Jim, your personal podcast Sherpa. I'm here to guide you on a trip through Mount Podcastia once again. Hey, great news, everyone. We made it to another episode and no one got accused of collusion. Anyway, this is the show where we talk to podcasters about their podcasts. Like today, when we hear from Casey Gonzalez, who hosts the podcast Chef Salty Pork. Plus, we'll look at the podcast charts for more shows to recommend. It's another theme week this week where we'll take a look at food podcasts. So come along on our trek and pack a sandwich. We enjoy a really nice meal at a really nice restaurant every once in a while. My guest, Casey Gonzalez, has been a restaurant chef for 18 years. He's also the host of his own podcast, Chef Salty Pork. Casey, welcome to the Chateau de Chapeau. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Third time's a charm. Let's do this. Here we go. We are, our technical difficulties are cleared up. Woo-hoo! So why don't uh, we start off and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so like um, I mentioned before that uh, 18 years into the business right now, uh, I worked through the ranks and now exec chef, but as in the title of my my podcast, I hate that word. So we're going to expand upon that in a little bit. Okay. We'll just say show. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. Okay. That works. Okay. Um, let's talk about uh, Chef Salty Pork and what type of things will people hear on your show? So there's a, there's a, quite a bit on the show, uh, but most particularly... Uh, just a rant, pretty much, on what happens on my day-to-day basis, and m- most likely a a chance to reflect. So maybe if we can correct some of the procedures or something happened bad, and you know, to to reflect on it and to to expand in it, that's how we be better uh, of ourselves in the restaurant business. So a lot of that, pretty much, on a daily. I literally uh, post every day. And then every other week, or should I say every week on Thursdays, I have a, a segment inside of my own segment where I interview people, um, you know, just just for funsies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and uh, you're also a musician in a band called Sunday Brave. Yes, I'm wondering, did you ever create a special meal for someone with musical accompaniment? I mean, sure. We, we all, we all kind of. We all kind of make meals around it, but that one is uh, my other passion in life too. Just the music uh, business, uh, writing music, performing it, you know, doing shows. And so I'm trying to juggle all three at the same time. Oh, wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a pretty full load, my friend. Does your restaurant ever play your music? I'm sorry? Does your restaurant ever, ever play your music? Some some of my cooks actually do, yeah. They actually like the songs, uh, and they're they're a little biased to it. But if you've ever if you've ever heard any of my songs, uh, they're reminiscent of classical rock songs. So I I primarily stay in that genre, and I'm trying to bring the old school rock back. So that's like the whole thing too. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Uh, now, how did you how did you first discover your passion for cooking? The passion for cooking started with my grandmother. So when I was still in the Philippines, I, I can still remember till this day where she, she, I would always be attached to her hip. And um, I would go 
make meals with her and learn how to do, I, I believe it was rice, the first time we made rice. And she was teaching me, without using a rice cooker, like methods on how to go about it, just in case your rice cooker don't work. And then from then on, once I made the rice, then I stepped up to making the egg, and then from the egg, the pasta, and then so on and so forth. But most primarily, I, I blame my grandmother. So that's how it kind of started all those years ago. Now, do you think because you're a dad now that you'll pass that on to your son? I'm actually, I don't, I don't have a kid just yet, but I think you're referring to my sourdough kid. If you, if you heard oh. that <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about that. It is okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I recently been doing um, some baking for the past uh, five months now, and I, I've gone into the journey of the sourdough um, bread making. So I, when when I first cultivated the yeast, so for for people that don't know, uh, to make sourdough, you need a, a yeast culture, and usually that takes about seven to ten days. And literally, all you have to do is take uh, water and flour, equal parts and let it sit for a day. So meaning if I took, I don't know, 100 grams of flour, 100 grams of water, mix it, let it sit for the day. The next day, you then take a little bit off of it, meaning just discard some, repeat the process seven times or eight times until you see the yeast go up by itself. Like it will literally, it's alive because it's that's, that's what yeast culture is. After you're done with that, and that's called 11, um, then you can start making the bread, and that's another process altogether. Okay. Yeah. I, I got a question. I have a restaurant, a couple of restaurant questions here. Now, what exactly is the difference between a chef and a sous chef? Ah, okay. So the, the age-old question, right? <laughs> yeah. There's really not that much difference. Technically speaking, the chef, like, okay, because there, there's a lot to go about it. The chef, handles primarily mostly all the technicalities meaning the bills um the the payload uh the menu however where it goes all on top of doing everything else so being meaning being a line cook doing inventory doing all of that that's what the chef is the sous chef is then in charge of making sure that it runs properly as the chef sees it. So he's in addition to, he's pretty much his right hand, uh, no matter what happens. And that's that's the only differentiation of sous chef and chef. They're both pretty much the same thing. Okay, and do you have a favorite meal to prepare in, in your restaurant? Of course, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm Asian descent, so anything Asian is pretty much my wheelhouse. So whenever we get to do any kind of, I, I, I primarily, um, specialize in Japanese cooking. So whenever we can do some good old broth or, you know, some, some long time seasoning and uh, some baking that's happening so we can infuse uh, flavors in there, that's the, the type of cooking that excites me the most. And do you have a least favorite stuff that you have to cook? Everything else other than Asian cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, I've been told that I'm a pretty good cook, but... If like you have, if, say your friends have you over for dinner, or do they feel intimidated if they have to cook for you? No, not really. Because uh, it, this is a true fact. Okay. I'm going to let you in on a secret on being a, a chef restaurant or whatever. Our meals at home, like 
they heat up stuff. So I'm talking like mac and cheese, like chicken fingers or whatever that's in there that can be done quickly because you're so tired of cooking the the expensive meals at your restaurant that it doesn't really appease you <laughs> to cook it at home. So whatever we eat is just normal garbage pretty much. Like I don't I don't cook fancy at the home. I mean every once in a while. Yeah, but I, I'd rather not. <laughs> so so a hot pocket doesn't offend you in any way, is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. However, you know, as chefs though, you also want to stay away from the processed meats and the processed goods. So as as healthy and as practical as that sounds, you still want to stay away from that. But you know, to 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 each their own. I, I try to stay away from that. I'll eat pretty much uh veggies and all that, but more so, you know, if I can heat it up, uh, that will benefit me more because I don't want to put any effort into cooking because I feel like I'm working. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, I can understand that. That makes sense. I guess it's kind of like the guy who works in the pizzeria who doesn't want to look at pizza the minute he walks out the door. So it's right. to all uh, food establishments. So and you're like, oh, I'm food again, or I'm I'm gonna go work again. You know, when I just left work. Right. Uh, is there any food that you won't eat? There's, there's two foods that I cannot stand, and I, I say this a lot. Okra can die in a hole and get buried and blown up somewhere. I hate, I hate okra. I can't do it. I can't stand it. It's the consistency of boogers. I cannot. Oh, it's just, like, disgusting. I cannot. I don't know. I don't know. I just can't do it. Okay? My grandmother, I, and I believe my grandmother did this from a long time ago. I think I, I must have been, like, five or six or whatever. Uh, she made a meal with okra, like an okra stew, right? Mo most, I mean, <laughs> the Southern folks use it as a, uh, a thickener, and it's it's a natural thickener. So that in itself is okay. But what my grandmother served me, I believe, all those years ago, gave me PTSD on that okra because it was just a bowl of loogie. It was disgusting. I could not stand it. It was, ugh, gross. <laughs> okay, I gotta catch my breath on this one. <laughs> it's a lot of booger talk on <laughs> the conversation about food. <laughs> so, all right, now they completely changed the topic. What's what would be your advice for people who want to go out and and they want a good meal? Like when we sit down, and you know, are there certain phrases we should be using when we're at a restaurant when we're ordering our food that kind of go beyond rare, medium, well done, or anything like that would kind of cue the chef? I said, like, oh, they want to cook this way. Or any, any special phrases? No, not necessarily. It's more of, um, how do you say it? So I'm going to explain it to you in twofold, right? You have the people that are savvy and the people that just want to eat. The people that are savvy, meaning they know their cuts of meat, they know the temperatures well, and they, they go out to eat. So they, I, I fall into that category. I, I live to eat. I really love eating. Um, and two, the non-savvy folks, they just want it done the way they've always had it. So meaning you will always get folks that will drop like $70, $80 on a well-done steak. And you're like, why? But that's what they're used to. They want to eat that. That's what they're accustomed to and they don't really care. So it, even if they pay $100 for that steak and it's well done, it doesn't matter. But, and here's where it differentiates. The, the savvy eater um, and if they're adventurous, let's just say that, 
they would want to plan out their meal. So what my wife do uh, and myself, when we go out to a new restaurant, we'll actually look at the entire menu and just order different things off of it. So, I mean, we can both eat pretty well. So we'll order two, two sets of appetizers, two sets of, you know, entrees, two sets of uh, desserts. So it can, the palate can be uh, satiated in a really well manner and you can experience the full effect of the restaurant. Uh, and then there's the, the non-savvy folks that just want to kind of eat. They want to go in. Okay, so I'm a fish restaurant, right? I have folks go in there and order the chicken breast pretty much because, you know, we serve chicken in the restaurant. They want chicken or they want steak. They don't want the premium fish that we serve because that's not what they're used to. Even so much so that they will go out of their way to go to my restaurant to have the steak or the chicken because they like it. So it's just like um, it's like a juggling act. So it, pick your poison kind of thing. Okay, let's talk a little bit about cooking. Uh, what do you think is the most common mistake that people make when when they're cooking? There's a lot. Yeah, there's there's. Oh my word! I can't even tell you. If I can, if I can impart some knowledge, the one thing that most people can think of, because we are all since we're consuming media so fast and we see it on Food Network all the time. You see them always, and this is my pet peeve, okay? No matter what restaurant you are, and I, I can guarantee this, ask the chef what they cook uh, on their pans. And that's a, that's a cook term. Like, what kind of oil are you cooking with? And I, I can guarantee this 100% of the time, none of those chefs should say that they're cooking with olive oil. Because one, olive oil has a really low burning point, meaning at like medium heat, it will start to smoke. That means it will start to color the dish and you will get that burnt flavor. We, us in a restaurant, we always cook with canola because it's such a high um, burning point that even if you forget your pan for a couple minute, uh, minutes, that it doesn't start to smoke just yet. So that's like one of the, the pet peeves that I have. And then two, uh, cooking doesn't always uh, mean you're on a saute pan. Cooking is so much more visceral than that. There's there's a lot of techniques that that happens in such a fast amount of time that uh, people don't really necessarily uh, understand. Like our our hardest station in my restaurant is the oven station because one of the sheer volume of items that go in the oven that gets cooked. So if you don't know how to time that correctly, and if you're not used to that pressure and things that are going to play it into a manner, you're pretty much messed up. On the grill, it's easy because you're just smacking down the protein uh, and letting it cook. And then you can actually watch it. On the oven, there, there's no way to watch it. There's there's literally only time. And that's the hardest thing to, to grab, a, grab a concept of. Saute, you can also see it. There, you can feel it. So that's fine. And you can, you can still gauge the cooking process. But once in the oven, Oh, it's it's such a that's such a it's a, a difficult a difficult thing to master time. I'm also curious about the tools that you use in your restaurant that you might use at home if you were going to make something. I know if you're not making mac and cheese, it's like for instance, is there a certain type of pan that we should be using if we're for sauteing and frying? Or yeah, this? absolutely. There's there's different there's different tools to the trade. So if you're let's say uh, let's go through some dishes, okay? So let's go. If you want to do just uh, sauteed mussels or something, you don't want nonstick pans. You want something that uh, will stick to the pan, meaning I don't want the, the non-porous uh, edges. 
So when the when the item browns a little bit, so meaning if I put uh, like garlic or shallots in there, when it browns, it actually sticks to the pan. So when I deglaze it, that's a technical term, um, with wine or anything kind of liquid, it will pull the brown bits off of the pan and lift it and then cook it with it. So that's one of the things that, you know, uh, something that's different from sauteing uh, with a nonstick and a regular pan. Uh, two, when you're making sauces, you want a heavy bottom pan, meaning something that doesn't, something that doesn't, um, uh, something that doesn't uh, disperse heat so quickly. Something that holds it right into the the bottom of it. So a saucier pan would benefit you better than if you were to just put it on a regular pot. Uh, a pot, um, meaning a five quart thing. Is not necessarily heavy bottom, but it disperses heat faster, so it can boil uh, the water to whatever you're cooking. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that um, that happens with different um, utensils that we use in a restaurant than if you were to do it at home. Because if you think about it, unless you're in the, in the business or really savvy with uh, the kitchen tools, you're pretty much 90% of the time you're just gonna have a saute pan, right? Like what what do you have in your pantry right now? For cooking, a couple of pots, uh, nonstick pan, the, the copper pans. You know, I was going to ask you actually, uh, you know, what your take on some of the uh, gadgets that people buy for home cooking. Like, for example, we just bought an air fryer. Do you think that something like that is worth it? It's not bad if you if you're trying to. Uh, okay, let me ask you this: Why did you buy the air fryer? Is it like um? You want to reduce the cholesterol intake. You want to reduce the oil, the right. fats, or are you just buying it because it was on sale? Yeah, no, it's it's for health reasons. Not not a. <laughs> we wouldn't buy something like that just because it's on sale. We have we have a pretty small kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, the air fryer in itself is a tool, right? That can give you something that's a little different from what a regular fryer is. So when you bought it. Were you thinking just French fries or like um, fried foods for the air fryer? Yeah, we were thinking like pork chops and chicken cutlets. And, and uh, we, our friends brought, brought one over on New Year's Eve and they made like chicken wings and little drumsticks and they were out of this world. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that's um, the air fryer is a little mini, a mini convection oven. That's what it is. So in a restaurant, our ovens are pretty much all convections except for the prep oven. That one is just a, a regular oven. And there's two different ways about it. The, the air fryer, which you have right now, is the same thing as what we have. And what it does is instead of heating up the oven like a like coils underneath, it's, it's all done by air. So air circulates in the inside of it, thus heating the food that's inside. So that's being done by air, just like your air fryer. Um, and then the back oven, what a regular oven is, it's done by coils, like on the bottom with, uh, with steel that reverberates and retains heat. And that's a different cooking process altogether. So, I mean, yes, if you want to lower the consumption of oil, I, I can see the benefit of the air fryer. But two, uh, you're eating, let's say, the chicken wings, right? And this is where it's going to hurt. I'm going to impart to you some knowledge. The chicken wings that you're consuming, are they breaded? Uh, usually, yes. So we're saying, like, if, if it's like a two-ounce piece of chicken wing that's breaded, I'm going to say that's 200 calories just because of the breading alone. 
that one little piece of chicken without without it being fried or anything. Okay, and then you put your sauces. Let's say it, is the sauce that you put on the chicken wing sweet, or is um, it a mayo? Yeah, it's usually maybe like a sweet sauce. I, I guess we're partial to that. Got you. So let's add another fifty calories to it. So what you're consuming technically just from the chicken, the chicken wing uh, with the breading, and then the sauce, the two hundred fifty calories right there. Do you think that the air fryer really benefits you, even though? If you cook it on a regular fryer, it, let's say it will impart another 20 or 30 calories. That's exactly what you're comparing it to. Okay, so it's not really the, the radical difference that it's advertised to be. Yeah, but it, it's like a, it's like different things too, though. But, but if you, if you want to consume fries, that's a better way to do it, right? It doesn't hit oil. It just gets done by the, the air. So that's beneficial or any kind of vegetables that go in it that you can uh, impart steam, that the air will take care of it. That's a little beneficial because it doesn't have to, uh, to hit any of the oil. But in terms of anything fried, as soon as breading hits, when you're adding another uh, protein into it, that increases the calories uh, tremendously. Okay, so if we're going to use it, then we have to keep it basically simple. That's probably the best advice for that. Yeah, just by itself. Like if you're going to go chicken wings, no breading, just by itself, let the, all, the, all the fat render out, and then you will have just the basic chicken wing. And then if you are going to go with sauces, try not to do anything uh, like a sweet sauce, meaning nothing with sugar that's inside it, because sugar is calories. Try to go with, you know, more of a, a vinaigrette style, like a, maybe like an oil and balsamic or with a cider Dijon thing kind of going on, or maybe like a, like a hot wing version with like red hot sauce. Uh, and a little bit of uh, vinegar and just kind of toss it. So anything to to deplete the calories is a little better than what you would get if you were, oh, and then I didn't even go, I didn't even touch the dipping. Do you dip it in ranch dressing? Uh, yeah, sometimes, or plain. I know yeah, that's like more calories. <laughs> more calories, yeah. Not a lot of people think about that. And that's, it's my job to let people know what they're actually consuming. Um, because it's it's kind of it's it's like a it's like a big it's like a big thing people don't realize uh, how much calories actually are in foods that typically don't look that bad. So, for example, just be uh, right off the tangent. I have a dish called nutty salmon. Okay, so if you take the salmon, you bread it, and it's a gluten-free breading, right? It gets a little bit of um, uh, milk and egg, and then you put the batter on it. You, you coat the salmon and then you top it with um, almond nuts that's sliced. Then we serve it on top of spinach that's sauteed and then it gets five raviolis and then you get the salmon right on top of it. And then we put a lemon butter sauce, a uh, lemon beurre blanc per se, right on top of it. If you just look at the dish by itself, you're like, oh, it's kind of healthy. It's with salmon, right? It doesn't, it's, it has spinach, it has a little bit of sauce. But in reality, the dinner version, that's 1,600 calories, just that one dish. And people are like, what? Yeah, 1,600. That's pretty much your daily intake on that one dish. Wow. That is yeah. unbelievable. So, I got one more question. Of- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. Oh, oh no, I was just going to uh, – you, you can finish your thought. It's okay. I got all the time. No, I was just <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just going to say uh, people should be more conscious of what they're ordering and what they're consuming if they are, you know, trying to watch what they're putting into their bodies. Oh, and actually, that's a great segue to my next question. I was just going to ask, what's a good home-cooked meal for people who are on a strict budget? Okay, so budget budget is a uh, how how do you how do you say it? Budget is a concept, right? So let's say I have fifteen bucks to spend for my dinner, and what most people can can buy with fifteen. Oh, let me ask you this: what What do you think fifteen bucks can get you? Um. Uh... Maybe a small piece of meat, some some vegetables. You know, depending on what's on sale, I guess. <laughs> gotcha. So, like, I mean, when I think of fifteen bucks, right? Uh, I'm gonna give you two versions. So, the first version, if I were to ask one of my cooks, uh, one of my, let's say, um, American cooks, you know, the the whole Americana kind of thing, or barbecue, uh, takeout food, he would probably buy, and I kid you not. Um, two burgers because they're only like three bucks a piece maybe a large fries a drink and like a dessert that's that's pretty much like 14.95 or just some junk like that right 15 bucks in my opinion can get you like three pounds of broccoli uh, like two things of potatoes um, three things of bell peppers and um, let's let's that's probably like six bucks right there if you were to go to a farmer's market then you spend, I don't know, like another two or three bucks on quinoa and rice. Um, that would up it to just about 11 bucks. And then let's say you want a vinaigrette. You should probably already have it in your, your pantry. So that's a freebie. And then let's say let's get a bulb of garlic at like, I don't know, 90 cents or something. And then let's get, uh, let's, maybe you want something crunchy. So let's get maybe the last four bucks that you want to get is like a trail mix. And it's a really good um, uh, crunch factor on your meal. So once you all saute, you boil it, you prepare it, you have literally a meal for three on those 15 bucks that you can buy at the farmer's market uh, without any of the protein or rather without any of the meat protein. And you can feed a lot more. And that's how my brain pretty much functions. So it, it's two ways. One, you really, you're paying for convenience if you're going to uh, the fast food place. Two, you're putting in the knowledge that you've learned from cooking and actually compiling a dish that you can consume over maybe two or three days, but just using vegetables instead of meat. So it's, it's a lot to process. Yeah, I guess probably once you get into that mindset, having, you know, experience, you know, being experienced in that field is probably become second nature to you would you say that correct yeah it's it's almost like i my, my wife hates it i go into a supermarket and i'm like this is five dollars what is going on i can get this for like 195 but the other stuff or anything pretty much or any of the produce i'm like well, they're, they're charging five dollars this? this is like 3.95 with my other guy yeah there's a lot of that happening okay since this is a show about well I'll, i have to say the word unfortunately podcasts do you have any favorite shows absolutely so i live vicariously through people and i i really want to watch movies more like i, I really do but it, it seems it's a lot of effort to just put in the two hours you know but i could actually i could absolutely do that um 
you know, doing something else like a podcast, a video, or being with my band, writing stuff. So instead of uh, going to the movies, my buddy, one of my good friends uh, from college, uh, Marco Gestevez, he runs a movie podcast where he reviews movies that are, you know, been in the, your current box, like a Red Box or Netflix or whatever. And he will give you a full review of it. And you can check him out at the Boxers podcast. And it's pretty much out everywhere, but primarily on Stitcher. That's where I listen to him. And pretty much any of the movies that have come out um, six months prior, they will review it fully to the T, how much it grossed out. Like, it's really intuitive. And I feel like I've watched the movie when I'm hearing his podcast. So definitely check him out, uh, The Boxers Podcast. The Box. The Boxers. The Boxers, like you're boxing. Oh, The Boxers. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. And um, we have a portion of this interview that we call Shameless Self-Promotion. So this is where uh, you get the chance to let our listeners know where they can find you. And uh, if you want to hype your restaurant a little bit too, you are more than welcome to that or your band as well. Uh, so the, the restaurant thing, I cannot disclose that because we are corporate. Okay. However, if you are in the New Jersey area, there is only one restaurant, one seafood restaurant in the Garden State Mall. I'm just going to leave that out there. You guys can figure it out. I can't say the word. I can't say the name of it because I'm corporate. I, I am the head chef there. Uh, you can find me on pretty much on all social media, but most primarily uh, on Instagram, pork and wine, two periods in the word and. Uh, that's where I pretty much post uh, photo, uh, photography and videography stuff. On YouTube, you can find us on pork and wine also. I do tutorials, uh, a vlog kind of style. Of, um, of videos and then you can also check out my band at sundaybravenj.com and it'll give you all the media like shows upcoming and all that stuff great and casey thank you so much for being on our show and everybody make sure that you check out casey's podcast on your favorite podcast app and bring your appetite and uh, don't forget to check the Sherpa sheet. You know, that's what we like to call the show notes for information on the podcasts and the links that we just mentioned today. Now let's cook up a commercial. Let's get that knife. for Sherpa Suggestions. If you enjoyed KC's podcast, here are a few more food-related podcasts to check out. Start cooking. Jamie's Ministry of Food Recipes, and that's with Jamie Oliver, who has hosted a few other podcasts as well. Meet the Chef, that's M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. Epicurious Food and Drink. Gastropod, I love that title. And The Sporkful. You know, there's a ton of food-related and cooking podcasts out here on Mount Podcastia. Keep in mind, some may be accompanied by video as well, which for me is a blessing. Isn't all this food talk making you hungry? I'd better wrap this up before I start cooking my semi-famous spaghetti a la Sherpa. Hey, thanks a lot for checking out Too Many Podcasts. 
And a special thanks to my guest, Casey Gonzalez. And be sure to check out his podcast, Chef Salty Pork. Feel free to write something nice about me in an iTunes review or anywhere that podcast reviews appear. And as they say, if you've got nothing nice to say, you're probably spending too much time on Yelp. You can listen to me on Pocket Casts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, and Radio Public. And if you listen very carefully on your phone, you'll actually hear me jumping from app to app. If you're on social media, check out Too Many Podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you'd like to recommend podcasts, or if you host a podcast, or if you have comments or questions, feel free to contact me at jimthepodcastsherpa at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can also leave voicemails for me through the Anchor app, and maybe one day I'll play them on a future show. If you'd like to donate to the show, thanks in advance for clicking that button. All information on today's show is on the show notes, or as I like to call them, the Sherpa Sheet. So we'll see you next time on Mount Podcastia, and as we Sherpas like to say, I should have taken a right turn at Albuquerque. Anyway, enjoy your day. Thanks for tapping play. Spread the word, and thanks a lot for listening.